This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Hey, would you open your Bibles uh, to the book of John chapter 6? It was a few years ago that I, um, my wife and I had purchased a little farm off of Paytonsville Arno Road. If you've been around here a while, you, you kind of know where that is. It was out in the middle of nowhere, and now it turns out to be the middle of everywhere. But in those days, it was, you know, it was kind of out there. And we had just been settled into this house, and um, I don't know, maybe a week. It wasn't long. And in the, in the middle of the night... I hear a crashing, glass-shattering noise coming from somewhere in the house. Now, there have been moments in my marriage where I've had the, guys, have you ever had this one where, Darren, Darren, wake up, wake up. Did you hear that? I didn't hear anything. Well, I heard something, so I'm out there looking and checking. Maybe this never happened to you guys in your marriage, but in my marriage, it's happened a, a couple of times. It's been a while. This night... We both heard it. We both shot straight up, and something came shattering through something. Now, a little bit of context. It was just a couple days before that, that at two in the morning, a couple of little near dwells were seen on my back deck um, outside, just standing out there. We never did figure out who they were. If you're a true uh, crime podcast guy, maybe do a little show. It'll probably take one show, and you'll figure out it was my daughter's uh, boyfriend at the time. It'll be only one episode. But, but he swears it wasn't him. <laughs> He's a good kid, by the way. That night, that was on my mind. Crashing sound. There was someone on my deck. So I jumped straight up, and I'm, you know, I'm like Tom Cruise in boxers. If, if Tom Cruise had had an allergic reaction to a bee sting. <laughs> but I invited my two friends, Smith and Wesson, with me. And we, we were, I wasn't alone. <laughs> and they each brought 13 of their little, little friends with them. Um, and we were headed into the basement. Because in the basement is where my 17-year-old daughter at the time was sleeping. So I'm, I'm, I am like amped, like I am zero to a hundred. The adrenaline is flowing. I've had tons of uh, handgun training stuff, so I know about trigger. I know all that stuff. Um, and fortunately, I was doing all what I was supposed to do. So I am literally like, again Tom Cruise with the bee sting going into the basement, and I round the corner, and I almost shot the ceiling fan, which had fallen on the floor this giant ceiling fan full of glass that was apparently hung up there by someone with the same skill set as me um, that had come crashing onto the floor at uh, two in the morning. Like, it was intense. Like, I was like, oh. And my daughter slept through the whole thing. And so did the dog. (laughs) This dog that, you know, I'm a, so where I'm from, if you get an animal, you gotta, there's really one question. What do you bring to the table? Right. It could be food. You could be the food, but you bring something to the table. 
So this dog was security. That was the job. And, and parenthetically, this dog is ferocious. Like, uh, he, 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 don't screw with him. His name was Samson. He had some mental issues. But he slept, slept through the whole thing, <laughs> um, which taught us some lessons, which, by the way, one of the, uh, in first service I was mentioning, that's why, I mean, uh, look, I know there's a lot of cat lovers, okay? God bless you. But cats are takers. They're not givers. When you come home today and your cat is there, your cat's like, meh, <laughs> bring me food. Anyway, I'm, I'm telling this during first service, and this is a 100% true story. In the parking lot, our parking team and security guys are trying to figure out what this squealing sound is from under in a parking lot, and it turns out there is a little cat trapped inside a truck in the parking lot, like while I'm making fun of cats in here, there's a cat stuck under a truck, proving my point. They get the cat out, he runs into another truck, and so uh, if you are the owner of a Ford 250, is that what it is, Mo? Uh, we have your kitten, he's in the back <laughs> on the way out the door. If you need a barn cat, we have one that you can take with you. Uh, she seems terribly cute and very much scared, so anyway, that's a, a true story. Uh, but John, chapter six. So. Scared. <laughs> the, the, the kind of fear that I was experiencing that night is the kind of fear that the disciples are experiencing here. It's an adrenaline-based fear, like a straight-up, like intense adrenaline level of fear. And in John 6, uh, we'll do verse 16, the fear they're experiencing is because of this. The disciples, verse 16, went down to the lake, and when they got into the boat. They set off across the lake for Capernaum. We're going to be there, those of you going with me to Israel in February. By the way, that trip is full, and I'm sorry, but we're going again in 2024. By now, it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. Jesus had actually gone up to a mountain to pray and sent them on ahead. Verse 18, a strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And then when they had rowed for about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened. Now that word in Matthew and I think Mark both say terrified, like terrified. This is a scary moment for them. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. If you're a Bible underliner, underline that immediately. We're going to definitely come back to that. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a light. Your word is a lamp. This is not just some document that is an ancient document that is not relevant to us anymore. This was supernaturally communicated, supernaturally transcribed, and supernaturally relevant for us even especially today. Holy Spirit, you have free reign in our room and in our hearts to move and to do and to say whatever you wish. And Lord, we are grateful to serve in a community where there are so many amazing churches that serve you. Dr. Michael and Cindy Easley at Stonebridge Bible Church, Lord, you're doing amazing things in that church and we are grateful to get to serve in a community where voices like 
Alan Jackson at World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, where you're doing amazing things through that courageous man. We are one voice among many. We are all on the same team. We are all about the same kingdom of God, not the kingdom of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Be not afraid, terrified. This is not the same kind of terrified, by the way, that if you ever walked through a spider web, did you lose your dignity in the same way that I did? Literally just a month ago, I'm mowing the lawn and our, uh, our property backs up to, to a tree line and I'm, uh, but there's some, my wife, God loves, she loves trees. We back up to woods and, and Shannon thought, well, let's plant more trees in front of the woods. And so we've got this whole other tree line. So I'm mowing in between the tree lines, which turns out to be a perfect place for a spider to make a web. So I am deeply entranced in a, I think it was the Jordan Peterson Netanyahu interview. It was something very intense and interesting to me when I go right through a spider web on the lawnmower. I lost all bit of dignity that I've ever had, thanking God that there is no ring camera pointed in that direction. Because the moment of the spider web itself is already terrifying, but we all know the real question, right? Where's the spider? I didn't strip naked, but I was taking stuff off. I'm like, I didn't know where, and to this day, I don't know where the spider is. I just know that in that moment, the dignity that I had, that I thought I had, is completely gone. That, that's, a, that's a level of terror, okay, where the adrenaline is flowing, but this, this specific kind of terror that they're feeling is the one where there is a literal danger that they can identify that they don't know. Like, I know what the spider was. They don't know what this danger is, and their heart rate, their adrenaline, it is high right now. And Jesus says to them, don't be afraid, Now, I read something like that, and I think, how do you not do that? Like, how do you know there's a guy in your basement and just don't be afraid? Well, I didn't think of that. How do I go through a spider web and don't be afraid? Good. I didn't think of that. Like, how do do you just not be afraid? And the answer, and we're going to look at it here, is there's actually a, a, a different kind of fear that Jesus is talking about that isn't the fear of imminent danger as much as it's the anxiety that is candidly racking most of our population today. That, that's why when the Bible says, like, do not be anxious about anything, there's a, there's a kind of fear that Jesus is specifically talking about. So if you have walked through a spider web, you, you should be humiliated and embarrassed, but you don't have to feel shame that you did something wrong because that's not the kind of fear that Jesus is talking about. Let's figure out what that is. He actually is doing something to the disciples to actually specifically teach them about this kind of fear that you and I both are going to engage if you haven't already. You're probably four years old, but at some point you're going to hit this head on. And the earlier you learn this, the better your life goes. He sends them into a boat, rowing into the wind. And at some point, as they're rowing into the wind, not getting anywhere, 
They got to make the decision. Am I going to keep trying to row or am I just going to put the oars down and invite Jesus into this? And then the third thing that he shows them is if you just stay where Jesus is, you don't have to do any of this. Stay where he is. You don't have to mess with any of this. So let's go. Rowing into the wind. I don't know if you've ever rowed into the wind before. A year ago in Wyoming, I was, uh, we were fly fishing. I actually had my son there and my son-in-law. And so we, we took him out onto this lake, this, tra- this little trout lake, and, um, and the wind came up. Now, here's the thing. We didn't have that big of a boat, okay? And I'm rowing, and I mean... Dude, it, the, that wind, just us, I mean, and obviously, I mean, I make a little bit of, a, you know what I mean, like a little bit of a sail, but, um, but it was hard. Like you would just sit there and this wind, which wasn't that big of a wind, but it was a big enough wind, would literally blow us back without, with hardly any effort at all and rowing into it. I mean, I, Dyer, I don't know if you remember out on that day, but I, I'm, by the time I'm out of there, like, dude, I, my back hurt, my arms hurt, because the wind was just causing us grief. So think about that kind of a wind, and think about, not by the way, this is not like a Gilligan's Island boat, like the SS Minnow. This is more like a Viking boat without the dragon. Like, it's a, a long boat where, where there's multiple oars, if that makes sense. So when evening came, verse 16, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat, set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark. Jesus had not yet joined them, and a strong wind was blowing, and the waters were growing rough. Now, if you've been around the Bible for any length of time, like I have, you might have the tendencies that I have, which is to start conflating stories together. You've, you've seen it over and over again, and this is the one. It's like, you know, you, you, you guys that love Friends, the show, you're like, well, this is the one where Ross and Rachel take a break, right? And this is the one where, you know, many of us would read this one and think, oh, this is the one where Jesus calmed the storm, right, and, and brought them peace because he calmed the storm. That's that one. That's not that one. That's Mark chapter four. That's where there was a real storm, a legitimate storm, thunder and lightning storm. Jesus was already in the boat. They woke him up. He calmed the sea. That's that one. That's not this one. And that's germane because there's a very specific thing he wants to show the disciples that was different than what he was showing them in Mark chapter four. So he has put them into the water and there is no storm. But there is, on the other hand, a big wind that has blown up. And if you've been to Galilee, you know that the peaks around, remember Edie, the 2,000 foot peaks on the, the sides of the, the lake. And so the, the uh, cold, wet, uh, cold air from the top will sometimes whoosh down into the middle and cause wind storms that are just, they're not storms like thunder and lightning. It's just a really windy day. And so... That's what's happening here. It doesn't say any, and by the way, in Matthew 14 and in Mark chapter 6, none of them mention a storm. It only mentions that the wind came up. And, you know, out here and in our part of town, and how many of you grew up like Montana or Nebraska where there's no trees? Okay, four of you. So North Dakota, we got one. Um, <laughs> you know that there doesn't have to be a storm for there to be a lot of wind. And you know that there can be a, a lot of wind and just talk, I mean, I don't know how many times Shannon has had to come out here and pick up ferns that have just blown over because of a wind that comes out of nowhere. So here's why that's important. 
I, I want to show you in Mark uh, chapter 4, or 6, I'm sorry, in 14. Because they, the, this, the disciples are not afraid of the storm. They're not afraid of the wind. Whatever's happening in the wind is not scaring them. Here's where they're afraid. His disciples, verse 48, this is Mark chapter 6. His disciples, uh, Jesus saw him straining at the oars um, while he's walking towards them because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. Uh, uh, Down there in verse 24, uh, Matthew 14, and the boat was already a considerable distance by land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. No storm, just Jesus. There's not going to be any mention of them being afraid until they see Jesus. Jesus was what scared the crap out of them. To put it differently, they were scared of the solution, not of the problem. And man, that... Is many of our situations and many of our stories. I'm scared because I know what I got to do and I don't want to do it because it's too scary. I know if I just tell the truth to my wife, that's what I've got to do, but I'm too scared. And so husbands will spend decades in silence because the solution was too scary, more scary than to keep rowing your boat. These disciples were on a trip that should have taken two hours. They were rowing a boat, should have taken them two hours. It is now the fourth watch of the night. That's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Matthew says it's just before dawn. They are at least seven hours in on a two-hour trip. And they're not even halfway there. And they're rowing, and they're rowing, and they're rowing. See, the, the fear that many of us experience is actually what's psychologically it's called anxiety. And anxiety, for those of you that have experienced it, is you rowing your brain Rowing it and rowing it and rowing it with a storyline in your head of everything that could go wrong. All of the the narratives that you've created in your mind of how this could go. And rowing and rowing and rowing. And it's exhausting and you're not getting anywhere. The disciples had been rowing and rowing and rowing and they're not making it anywhere. In the early days of my... um, music career, and by early days, I mean like the first five minutes of it. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. Some of y'all in this room know that. And when I say like I didn't know what I was doing, I'm not giving you like an all shucks routine. I did not know what I was doing. I was handed a legal pad, some phone numbers, and a couple of bands that nobody cared about and said, book them. I'd been married for just a little bit longer, maybe six minutes. I didn't know how to be a husband. All I knew was if anybody knew who I really was, 
that they would reject me, that they would fire me. And so what did I do? I started pretending. I didn't ask for help. I just started rowing into the wind. And rowing and rowing. Until eventually, and by eventually, it was a few months, first time it happened, I had what I would later learn was called a panic attack. This was 1995. I couldn't Google it. I was afraid to tell my boss. He didn't like me anyway. I thought he'd fire me anyway. He's looking for a reason. So if I tell him I'm, I'm, I'm scared and I don't, I mean, I don't know what's happening to me. So I kept rowing and rowing and rowing. I'm doing my job on the outside. I'm doing the work. I'm whatever. But on the inside, man, my brain is just... And what would happen in those panic attack moments is psychologists, Chip Dodd, counselors, different versions, they'll all tell you some version of the same thing. A panic attack is just your body telling you you've had a feeling. (laughs) Your body saying, okay, we're done here. You've got to deal with this. And here's how we're going to deal with this. Because people, and I've, I've never done this, but many of my friends that have had this have driven maybe someone in here. You drove to the ER because you thought you were having a heart attack because your chest hurt. Your heart was thumping out of your chest. Your blood pressure was up. You were sweating. You, those are literal physical symptoms that you were experiencing. Your body was telling you you were having a feeling and you weren't dealing with it. And your body eventually is going to stop it if you don't. Jesus, with these disciples, saw them rowing, saw them not getting anywhere, and parenthetically, he sent them on this trip. John doesn't tell us, but Matthew says Jesus commanded them to get in the boat and to go to the other side. And then he went up onto this mountain where he could have easily seen down onto the lake where they were. It wasn't that Jesus sent them out there by themselves. It was that Jesus sent them out there to a place where they thought they were by themselves to show them that that is not going to work out well for them in their life. Because when I got to that point where I'm like these panic attacks and I'm white knuckling through them and just acting like Shannon's the only person that knew, I didn't tell anybody. I just kept white knuckling and kept pushing through it and kept thinking I was going to defeat it. And there was a moment where I had to do what the disciples did, and that was to finally look at the solution that's right in front of me, as scary as it was, and realize that inviting Jesus into the boat, well, let's look what the disciples did. They'd rowed for three or four miles. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened terrified, genuinely freaked all the way out. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. The Greek language here is not the kind of language we really have an exact translation for. But if you've got a King James Bible, and some of you all do, because you or King James 1611 only, and congratulations on that. But if you do know that this one, King James, got right. Our, our more modern translators tried to make it more appropriate for our language, so it might sound a little more like something like, you know, the way that Savannah and I would normally talk, because we wouldn't talk like this normally. But th- what Jesus said here is not, it is I, don't be afraid, Savannah. He said, don't be afraid, I am. And in the minds and hearts of Jewish believers, that was not the first time they had heard that declaration before. God 
when he spoke to Moses, and Moses said, who shall I say sent me? He said, Yahweh, it's a word we actually don't even have, know how to pronounce, but what he said was, you tell him I am sent you. Jesus, standing on the water, says, don't be afraid, I am. And in that moment, it says that the disciples invited him in to the boat. And you know what? When I said underline, I think I said underline immediately. Immediately they reached the, the, the shore. Immediately the boat reached the shore. They are at least three, if not five miles from the other side by the time Jesus gets in that boat. And immediately they were on the other side. The solution that they were so scared of. By the way, it says that the word that it uses, they thought he was a ghost, I think is the way that Mark translates it. The word is phantasma in Greek. It's not ghost. It's more like a walking demonic creature that the Jewish believers or the Jewish people believed that there were uh, demonic. So it wasn't like Peter's grandma had come back to haunt him on the ocean. You know what I mean? It was like, so you blurry creatures people, you can spend some time on this, but they actually were looking for something very specific that they believed walked the earth, and so that's what they thought he was. And it was Jesus. The thing that jumps out at me from that is the solution that we have for us oftentimes doesn't look like Jesus, but it is. The thing that I, I want it to look like anything else but this guy walking on the water. I want it to look like anything else than that. A few years after this church started, eight and a half years ago, we moved into this little building. Uh, the, the wonderful people of Hillview Baptist Church, all 14 voting members voted to let us move into this building. We moved in completely debt-free all 180 or 200 of us at that time. And for me, it was the first time that I realized, oh, we're going to be a church. Like, this is actually not going to fail. We're a church. Now, that should have been a moment where I'm like, yeah, we did it. We dominated. And I was like, oh, crap, I'm a pastor. We got to, like, I'm not, I don't get to go back to my old life. Like, I'm in now. I'm all in. And it was during that season that Lots of you started to come along. And, and I don't know if you all know this, but some of y'all, you're really smart. Like, I, I don't know if I, Kevin and Tracy are here, but I mean, Tracy Rogers is one of the best Bible teachers out there. Like, what am I going to say that Tracy doesn't know? And by the way, we had pastors in here. Tim Bassanio was a pastor long before I was a pastor. Like, why don't I just give the microphone to a Bassanio and sit down, let the professionals handle it? I mean, David Shindell has forgotten more about the Bible than I'll ever know. And everybody that I'm mentioning, and I can keep going, by the way, not a single one of you would ever put on me what I was putting on myself. That was all me. I don't know if you've ever seen a duck on a pond. We had a huge controversy in our neighborhood. Almost tore our neighborhood apart. Some nice person put a couple of ducks in our neighborhood pond. And there was pro-duck and anti-duck and the HOA election was coming and, you know. 
make Falls Grove ducky again. I mean, it was like we're, it's going to be, you know. Somebody in the middle actually kidnapped the ducks in the middle of the night. We're still investigating this crime. But when you'd come into the neighborhood, the ducks are just sitting on top of the water. But underneath, you know what a duck is doing? Calm on top and the bottom. Every Sunday when I would come in, I mean, welcome to my shallow heart, I guess. I'm surrounded by preachers that are like unbelievable. So in my eight and a half years ago brain, I'm trying to compete with that. Maybe you guys don't deal with this, and, and congratulations, but maybe one or two of us do. And I started at some point that feeling that I had when I was a young man in the music business hit me again while I was preaching. It was the one place that I'd never had it happen before, the one place that was sacred and it never happened, and now it's happening while I'm speaking on a Sunday morning. And I was like, this is, by this point I know, it's all in my head, right? This is so dumb. This is so I can just white knuckle my way out of it. And I tried that. I mean, Michelle, I tried that for a few weeks. And if you were around back then, you would have known. You wouldn't have known, but if you knew. I, if, when it started to happen, I would put my hands on my table. And for some reason, that would make it go away. I don't know, it's dumb, but it worked. But there was one Sunday where it didn't work. There was one Sunday where I got, it was like, of course, it's the second service, which is packed. It was like Spirit Airlines on a Monday morning, like elbow to elbow. And worship is ending. I can feel the heart rate up. I can feel the sweaty palms. I'm actually, I've gone back into the, like, the supply closet, and I didn't, none of us had offices. And I'm praying, and, I'm, and, and this is the prayer. God, this is so stupid. I know this is dumb. Rowing, and rowing, and rowing. And I had a couple of choices. One, hand the microphone to Mo and my notes and wish him well and tell him I was sick and leave. And I want you to know, in that moment, that was a legitimate option A for me. (laughs) Get out of here. The other option was the option that was walking on the water toward me, and it terrified me. And that was to grab the microphone and tell everybody what was happening to me. And it was horrifying. The idea, I mean, it hit me in every part of the fear of the young white trash kid from Nebraska. And some of you were, I don't know, a few of you might have been there that morning. But I just said, actually, to be honest, I don't remember what I said. (laughs) I just remember, this is what they say to you, right, in a crisis moment. They won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. They'll remember that you were there. And what I remember that day was when I said that, I was humiliated and I was embarrassed. And people just came. There was no, does anybody want to pray for Darren? There's no, anyone? Anyone? (laughs) A group of people. Half, I mean, I don't know, maybe all the church. And I was able to give them the sermon that morning. By the grace of God, and the power of Jesus walking on the water and getting in my boat, I've never had another panic attack in the last eight and a half years. 
because I had to put down the dadgum oars. I had to quit rowing in my brain. And the beautiful thing is that when Jesus said, uh, this is the best part, I am. I am the one that can get you out of your head and into your heart. I am the one that takes care of panic attacks. I am the one that takes care of addictions. I am. But you've got to put down the oars and let me. It's not on your terms. It's on his terms. Chip Dodd, if you know who that is, I'm going to say this really quickly. He actually does a great job of explaining the difference between anxiety and fear. And we're really, I just want you to see this thing about anxiety. It's a physiological central nervous system reaction to thoughts we are having about an anticipated disaster. That's why whenever you're spinning yourself up, have you ever spun yourself up with, man, I, this is going to go really awesome. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to crush it this morning. I'm going to go into I'm going to rock and roll it. No, we're spinning ourselves up with, this is going to be terrible. This disaster, it always is related to future trepidation about something happening that we're not sure about. It leads to seek something outside of ourselves to control and quell those feelings of uncertainty. Many addictions are born out of that very thing. I am just medicating that. I didn't put down the oars. I just medicated it so I could forget that I'm rowing. He does tell us the difference that fear is an emotion. Fear tells us we're in danger. It tells you you're in a spider web. It tells you that you should not walk along the edge of a building. I want my pilot to be a little bit afraid, right? I don't want him just, oh, I got this and I'll just sleep. I want my pilot a little jumpy, you know, like he's paying attention. That, that's not a bad thing. That's not the fear that Jesus is telling you to put away, right? You need to know when there's danger and God gave you that emotion so that you could deal with danger. It's a feeling we've been given that allows us to ask for help. When we express a fear vulnerably, it sets us up to be able to prevent the thing we fear, and it also provides a place for us to go back to the process of what did or didn't happen. See, 28 years ago, when I first had a fear that I would be found out, if I just would have dealt with it then, if I just would have told somebody then and communicated that out loud, that's what the fear wanted me to do, ask for help. But I didn't. I just kept rowing in my brain. And I'm here as a testimony to say, when you put down the oars and let Jesus in the boat, like I'm able to communicate now. I'm not the, look, uh, this is not an aw shucks routine. I've got the internet. I know I'm not the best preacher in the nation. But I don't worry about that anymore. I'm up here not rowing in my brain to try to make you like me. I'm just up here out of an act of obedience with God and I just bring Jesus with me. And if you like me, great. And if not, Nathan Collar would love to have you. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it wouldn't even be hard feelings. It wouldn't be weird at Walmart if you saw me. You didn't like me. That's okay. I might not have liked you. <laughs> There's so much freedom in that. You don't have to like me. That's the freedom. I want you to. I'm the nicest guy I know. And, and we all have whatever the, whatever the boat is and whatever the oars are, whether it's you want people to like you, whether you want people to think you're successful, whether you want to know that you fit in, whatever, those are, whatever your boat is that you're rowing in, we've all got one. And the only way that you're going to get out of it is to literally invite Jesus into the boat 
and put the oars down, and immediately they were on the other side. Not later, immediately they were on the other side. And then, gang, the, the very next verses talk about the rest of the people. They're scrambling. They're rowing all over the lake. Is he over here? Where's Jesus? He's here. No, he's there. He's here. He's, he's everywhere. They're just scrambling to find Jesus. And they're scrambling to find Jesus because of what he could do for them, not he, who he could be to them. You see, in just a few verses, this crowd is going to go away. Jesus is going to go into the Nosferatu moment here. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, whoa, what? You know, and the whole crowd is going to leave. And he's going to look to his disciples somewhere around verse 50, I think. Are you going to leave too? And they say, I think it's Peter says, where else would we go? You are the ones that have the words of life. Where else would we go? Not what you can do for me. It's who you are to me. See, when I went down into the basement with Smith and Wesson, and by the way, don't come break into my house. But here's what I do differently now than I did 12 years ago, whatever that was. What I didn't do 12 years ago is I didn't pray. I didn't say, Jesus, be with me. Jesus, do, I, I, I just went, I jumped out of the boat and rode downstairs. <laughs> Almost shot the ceiling fan, right? I'm, it's not that you shouldn't act in this world, whether it is in our government, whether it's in your work, or whether it's in your church, or your, your business world, or your music career, whatever it is. It's not that. It's just do it with Jesus in the boat. It's just so much more life-giving. If you're following Jesus... I mean, Benny Prophet is traveling more at, let's say, 48 years old with few. Not to try to row the boat to make people like him. It's because he's got Jesus in the boat and he's just following Jesus. Jesus went to Thailand this week. Jesus went to UK that week. Jesus went to Ireland this week. Just following Jesus wherever he goes, you're not rowing then. It's Jesus. It's not that you're not going to work hard. It's not that you're not going to achieve success. I mean, Jeremy, the work that you guys are doing in the ministry with grace, like it's not that you're not going to work hard. It's not that you're going to have good days and bad days, and this is going to look like it's going to work, and that's not going to. But if you've got Jesus in the boat, you're not rowing into the wind, exhausting yourself, making no progress. You just drop the oars and let Jesus take you where he wants you to go. Boys and girls, kids of all ages, 51-year-old Darren wishes I would have known this at 20 years old. And I hope that if you're in your 20s that I could save you some trouble. And if you're my age, put down the dadgum oars and put Jesus in the boat. Stop rowing your brain, stirring up, creating whatever crisis it is in your brain. By the way, when you do that, your brain doesn't know the difference between a real crisis and the one that's in your brain. Your brain responds exactly the same. The Bible says, cast down imaginations and every that would uh, exalt itself above the knowledge of Christ. Cast it down. That's the oar. Drop it and let Jesus row you home. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, bless my brothers and sisters.
And Lord, I just, if there's, uh, there are, there are people in here right now that might be dealing with some level of panic attacks right now and you're just embarrassed and don't want to talk about it. Lord, would you give them the courage to come down front for the prayer teams that are going to be here ready to pray for them? Just have someone, just say it out loud. Give them the courage to come say it out loud to somebody and watch how you can make him immediately make it to the other shore. <laughs> Lord, you are so good and you are so kind. I pray that we'll receive that this morning. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.